0: As most of you know, we, we've been working our way through the, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. We're now about to reach the point in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 where Jesus performs, Jesus performs his first miracle. And John doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. Some of, some of the signs that John uh, speaks about Jesus doing... Some of them are not miraculous, but this one is miraculous in chapter 2. It's about Jesus turning water into wine. The reason why John describes these things that Jesus does as signs is because as important uh, as it is what Jesus does, there's something more going on than meets the eye. John calls the things that Jesus does signs because they're they're pointing to something bigger than the actual event. And I'm not sure where you all stand this morning as far as miraculous signs. I know that uh, many of you believe that, that uh, the supernatural exists, that Jesus could actually turn water into wine. There are others of you out there this morning that are... Uh, on the fence, maybe I don't. I don't know how exactly you can be on the fence, but it's just kind of ho hum. I would say that's probably not a a healthy place to be. I would even say it's not very reasonable. You you really do need to think about um, the things that uh, are described uh, to Jesus, uh, giving him more than just a, a ho hum. But so some of you don't question. Some of you don't care. I guess. And then there are some of you that don't believe that Jesus did these things. Maybe, maybe you still like Jesus. But, but all of you here this morning, to include myself, I, I want to challenge our own ideas. I want us to consider the implications of what Jesus Christ does here in John chapter 2. So regardless of where you're coming from this morning... I want you to understand my main point here in this in this sermon is that Jesus turning water into wine it is a big deal but it's a big deal because for Jesus it's not a big deal at all. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is if Christianity is all about what we say it is. Jesus turning water into wine, no big deal. Because Christianity is all about taking dead people and making them alive. That's miraculous. So if you're a Christian here this morning, there's a much bigger miracle that's happened to you than simply turning water into wine. Jesus Christ comes. To make everything new, to make us new, to make the world that we live in new, to make our understanding of the world that we live in new. Jesus comes into a world, he comes into a broken world with broken people and even as Adam said here this morning and he comes to give us hope. So this message here, while we're going to talk a lot about turning water into wine This is really a message about newness. It's a message about transformation. It's a message about abundant life. So I have three ideas that I am going to relatively quickly share with you this morning. The first idea is this. If and when you go to God for help, you better get ready because you have no idea of what you're going to get. That's the first thing. If and when you go to God, Jesus, you better get ready because you, know, you have no idea what you're going to get. Secondly, when Jesus does work, and he's always working, there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on than we can actually comprehend. And then lastly, when Jesus does work, when Jesus acts, even though it may not be what you expect, even though it may be more than you can comprehend, it is more than you will ever need and better than you can possibly imagine. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So, in your bulletins there is our text, John chapter 2. Let me read it to us. This is the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now take some of the water out. and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this time of worship. And we ask simply that you would, by your spirit, work in our hearts. Help us to better understand your truth. Help us to see Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. Let me me start at the end here. Verse verse 11. This is the first sign. John says, "Jesus Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's the end. You realize there were a lot of people who saw what Jesus did, but they didn't believe. The servants saw the sign, but they didn't see the glory, and they didn't believe. Disciples saw the same sign, and they believed and realized that at the end of the book, John tells us why he writes this book in chapter 20. He says the reason that he writes the book is that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and by believing, we would have life directly related to what Jesus is doing here at this wedding, that people would come to see Jesus for who he is and what he does. They would see his glory and they would believe and they would have life. So at the onset of this, this passage this morning, we're talking about what does it mean to have life? What does it mean to really live? And that's why it's appropriate for this first sign to take place at a wedding, Wedding is new beginnings, happiness, and joy. And I know that, that weddings, for the most part, in this day and age, they're, they're a fun time, right? Pretty big be- deals today. We have some pretty big weddings, even here at Redeemer. But I need you to know, back in Jesus' day, weddings were much bigger deals. In fact, sometimes weddings would last a week. I don't know if they didn't have honeymoons back then or what, but the, the whole process could last up to a week. And, and what would happen is the actual ceremony, because they didn't have churches, the actual ceremony would take place at the bride's house. They'd do the wedding ceremony, and then everybody that was at the wedding would walk back or process back to the bridegroom's home. And at the bridegroom's home, they'd have this lengthy celebration. It would be one big, long banquet, food, wine, a long party. Big social event. But realize it was much more than simply a social event. Back in Jesus' day a wedding was not simply a legal obligation for the couple getting married, but it was a legal op- uh, obligation for anybody that would come to the wedding. You see, it would go like this. If I invited you to one of my children's weddings that I was giving, you would then be obligated to invite me. You would have to. If I invited you, you needed to invite me. And if I gave a really good wedding, then the wedding that you finally provided, it would have to be at least as good, if not better. It was all about giving more than you already got. It, the, the, the society then, the customs then, it was all about reputa- reputation, entitlement, reciprocity, and if you didn't make the cut, you know what could happen? If you gave a lousy wedding when I gave you a better wedding, I could actually sue you. I could actually take you to court. So realize, in our passage this morning, this family is starting out on a bad note. Not a good situation. It's not a good way to begin. They need a lot of help. They don't have any wine. So let me ask you, where do you go when you need help? I know most, if you're like me, when I need help, I, I try first to fix it by myself, right? Usually doesn't work. So I go ask my friends. That usually doesn't work. And ultimately, I realized that some of the things that I want to get fixed, I have to go outside of myself. I was talking to, I to, I, I actually ran into, I hope you don't think less of me now, but I actually ran into my first Unitarian that I've ever met in my life. I was studying for this sermon a couple of weeks back. I was sitting at a table and evidently I was I do this a lot, but evidently I was talking out loud. I didn't realize what I was saying. And this, this lady that was sitting next to me said, oh, you must be a preacher. I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. She goes, I'm a Unitarian. I said, wow. I get really excited when I meet people and they actually say things like that to me. And I, I got really excited. and I said, well, you got to tell me what you believe because I've never met a Unitarian in my life. I've read all about you, but I've never met one in, in the flesh. And um, she was very nice. She talked about this big idea of God, really an ethical idea, and she told me about how it made her feel better, and I asked her this question. I said, what do you do when you can't fix something that you'd like to fix? She said, you just got to go with inside inside you. There's a little God in all of us, and you have to go tap into that God. And I, I, I could tell that there was a befuddled look on my face, but she asked me what was wrong. And I said, well, when I, when I go inside my heart, I, I don't see a, a little God. I see a little devil. I see all sorts of things that I really don't like. And then I asked her, what do you do for salvation? How are you saved? And she said this, and I appreciated her honesty. She said, you have to do that on your own. And I I don't say this if you're a Unitarian out there. I don't don't say that to be mean. But I don't know about you, but I I can't do that. I I don't have that in me. I'm not that good. You see, I think at some point, and I I did tell her, I said either you got a really, really good life or nothing bad has happened to you yet and you better get ready because life just isn't that easy for most people that I know, right? At some point in time, we, we all need help, don't we? Is it just me? At some point in time, you do realize that that you have problems that you can't fix. And hopefully, you'll go to God. Not the God within you, but the God who stands outside of you, which leads us to the first big idea here about what Mary does. Mary goes to Jesus, and she says they have no wine. Realize... The first point here is when you go to Jesus, you have no idea what you're going to get. Because into this dilemma comes this sweet lady, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we have this great interaction between Jesus and his mother. And it goes like this. Look at verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman. I don't know if he used that tone or not. What woman? what, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now let me ask you this. What do you think Mary is expecting Jesus to do? She's not simply just giving him sad news because of what she says in verse 5 where she says do whatever he tells you. She's expecting him to do something. There's no indication that she's expecting him to do something miraculous because realize up to this point Jesus hadn't done any miracles. Mary doesn't know, in fact, that Jesus can do these miraculous things. Now, Mary does know that Jesus is special, right? After all, he was born in a very unique way, very special way. Mary's aware of the promises that were made. But up to this point, Mary is just coming to Jesus as her elder son, realizing that Joseph has already died, right? Right? And Jesus has probably been the main breadwinner, and this is just a normal situation where a normal mother goes to her eldest son, and she needs help. And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, to our ears, that sounds kind of rude. But actually, he addresses, Jesus addresses women like this throughout the whole gospel. And do realize at the end of the gospel, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, when he's about to take care of his own mother, he says, woman, behold your son. So I don't think this is rude on Jesus' part, but it is abrupt. The best translation is your concern, mother, is not mine. And Jesus is not rebuking his mother. Listen to this. Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that something unique is going on. Jesus says, my hour has not come. Mary is thinking in terms of a normal mother-son relationship, and Jesus has to redefine that relationship if Mary is going to be saved. Did you hear that? The reason why Jesus is so abrupt with Mary is that Mary, at some point in time in her life, if she is going to be saved, she has to realize that Jesus is more than a son. You see, Mary is concerned about the earthly wedding, the lack of wine, and Jesus is concerned about abundant life. And this is really, really important. It's important for us, especially if you're a Christian here this morning. Or maybe you're thinking about the claims of Christianity. Why do you think Jesus Christ has come? You think he's come just to make sure that your wedding goes well? You think he's come to make sure that you find the right guy or the right girl? Has Jesus come to make sure that you make good grades, you make a lot of money, even to make you happy? Is that why Jesus came? As important as those things are, that is not why Jesus came. Let me read you a quote from D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar. He says, this conversation with Jesus must have been very difficult for Mary. She had born him. She had nursed him. She had taught his baby fingers elementary skills. She'd watched him fall over as he learned to walk. Apparently, she had also come to rely on him as a family provider. But now Jesus had entered into the purpose of his coming and everything, even family ties, had to be subordinated to his divine mission. Here it is. She could no longer view Jesus as other mothers viewed their sons. She, like every other person, must come to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus is very abrupt with his mother. It's not because he doesn't love his mother. It's in fact because he loves her more than she could ever imagine. You see, what are your ideas about Jesus Christ, about why he came? We think we can understand our problems. We think we know what we need in order to make us feel good. But you have to understand that Jesus is concerned about bigger things than we can even fully comprehend. And if you ever go to God to ask him for something, and realize if you ever go to God and ask him for something, that means he's already been at work in your life. You better get ready. You better pay attention because you have no idea what he's going to do. And that's okay because he's Jesus. Which leads to our second idea. When Jesus acts, there's always more than going on. There's always more going on than meets the eye the first thing is if you go to Jesus and you ask him for help you better get ready because you have no idea what he's going to do secondly when you do ask Jesus and when Jesus acts there's more going on than meets the eye let me explain this very very quickly what does Jesus do There are six stone water jars there's 20 to 30 gallons each it's a lot of water he has the servants fill the jars to the top, to the brim. That a lot of hoopla, realize there's no focus here on how the miracle occurs whatsoever. He tells the servants, fill them up to the top, and just like that, there's a lot of wine. Not only is there a lot of wine, it's really good wine. Realize the water purification jars had to do with how the Jews related to God. You with me? the the water for Jew, jewish rites of purification they'd use it to to make their hands clean before they went to eat and it wasn't just for sanitary reasons but it was for religious reasons the things they did to make them acceptable to god and i don't i don't have time to explain to you this morning how this wasn't how god intended it to be i don't have time to explain how these things are were ultimately there to point them to Jesus. But, but suffice it to say this morning that the water, water purification jars, they, they were little systems of merit that helped the religious people do things in order to make them feel good about coming to God certain things that they did to make themselves acceptable, little systems of merit. And what Jesus does is he takes those things and he turns it into wine so that the couple would get out of trouble. Jesus takes the water, he transforms the wine, not only a lot of wine, but he turns it into the best wine as if to say, now that I am here, everything is different. Now that Jesus has come... Everything changes. You see, we think we know how the world works. We think we understand what makes for a good time. We think that we can do whatever we need to do to make sure that we are happy. And Jesus is saying, everything and the way that you are seeking it, it can only be found in me. You realize it's very easy to get caught up in the wrong things here. There are, there are commentators that say this is an account of how Jesus sanctifies marriage. And it is true that Jesus sanctifies marriage, but that's not what this passage is about. It's not about how Christians are free to drink wine. Realize when Mary says they have no wine, she says more than she thinks. It's a commentary on the world in which they live. Jesus comes, and he comes to a wedding scene. It's supposedly a happy, glorious time, a banquet of festivities with nothing but water. And the wedding organizer says, Wow, it's not only more wine than we need, it's the best of best. Jesus has come, brothers and sisters, friends. Jesus has come not simply to turn water into wine, He comes to change the world. He comes to first change us and change the world that we live in. This passage is all about transformation. It's really a commentary on what Paul says, the old is gone and the new has come. So when you go to God, you ask Him for help, realize you have no idea what He's going to get, what you're going to get. Secondly, when He does act, there's always more going on than meets the eye. And then lastly, when Jesus does act, it may not be what you expect, but it's more than you'll ever need, and it's better than you ever could imagine. Remember a few weeks ago, Hal was preaching on John 1.16, the prologue. John 1.16 says, From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace the law was given through moses grace and truth comes through jesus christ realize what jesus is doing here it's a commentary on that verse it's from the fullness of god that we receive grace upon grace the law was given through moses grace and truth comes through jesus christ realize it's not the law it's not that the law was bad it's simply there's no power in the law to fix us Power comes only through Jesus Christ and Jesus is the one who changes the water into wine. Jesus changes the water into wine because it's Jesus who has the power to heal, power to restore, and power to change. You see, regardless of where you are this morning, what Jesus is doing here in this passage, he's not simply turning water into wine. He's talking about why he's come. The first of his signs, verse 11, revealed Jesus' glory and his disciples put their faith in him. I'm I'm just going to conclude like this. When I was working through this, this passage, I wanted to leave you with something concrete, something practical. Something that you could take with you. Jesus here comes and He turns water into wine. He saves these people from this great dilemma. What do you need to do with this passage? You realize that there's nothing more concrete, nothing more practical than looking to Christ and seeing His glory. Nothing more concrete, nothing more practical than the fact that God takes on flesh, is born as a man who suffers the miseries of this life, who's tempted just like you and I, and he dies on the cross for people like you and me. He's buried, and then he's raised from the dead. And now He sits interceding on our behalf. Jesus comes not simply to turn water into wine. Jesus comes to make dead people alive. Jesus comes and continues to work in people that He's taken from death and made alive as we look to Him and see His glory. Let's pray. Father, would we not be like the servants who tasted of that wine that eventually runs out again? Help us to taste the wine that Jesus brings through His Spirit with a changed heart and a changed understanding. Lift our eyes off of simply the things that we can see and lift our eyes up to Jesus Christ. Help us to remember what he's done and why he's come. We ask that we would know you better, and that we would experience life and life abundant. In Jesus' name, amen.